you could spend a moment with some remarkable people and discover what the life sounds like, what would you ask? Welcome to Are We On Air, an audio encounter. I'm Armand Nafei, and each episode will feature one conversation with an inspiring friend of mine who will share with us the soundtrack to their life. So welcome back to another episode of Are We On Air? I'm currently joined by the wonderful and talented singer-songwriter that is Roshan Murph. Welcome, Roshan. Hello. Hello. Are you currently in London? Yes. Uh, yeah, I was trying to come um, uh, meet you actually in London uh, to do it in person. Oh, and all, but I know. I'm sure we'll we'll meet in person soon, hopefully after all this drama. Well, um, to give you an idea what Are We On Air is, is to kind of find out what the soundtrack to your life is and to paint a picture of who you are, but through a couple of songs and hopefully discover some fun stories along the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so to begin with, what's your earliest significant musical memory that shaped you as an artist? Singing, people singing all the time when I was growing up. I grew up in a in a town in Southern Ireland, just south of Dublin. And especially at that time, everyone knew a lot of songs from start to finish that they would sing with no musical accompaniment at any given time. Um, so I always heard the adults around me singing songs to each other. And song was mm. like just innate in the culture. People all knew lots of songs. And my father used to have a game that he would play with us. If we were on a long car journey or something and he would say, say anything, any, I bet I know a song about it. And we would be spending all the whole journey trying to think of so something he wouldn't know a song about, but it wasn't possible. So just my family and their friends singing, that was my first musical memory. Was there a particular song that, like maybe a traditional Irish song that that? Well, actually, they didn't really sing traditional Irish songs. They sang more like American songbook kind of songs, uh -huh. and songs from musicals, and there'd be the occasional traditional song, but they weren't very traditional Irish people. Really, they were quite forward-thinking. Rinse of jazz. Um, another one of my earliest memories. I couldn't possibly remember the first time I heard live music, for example, because it was just all around all the time, and I had a, a very dear uncle who was an incredible musician, played every kind of instrument and sang and had lots of bands. He was always a band leader and he'd, he had a jazz band when I was growing up, a five piece and a three piece. And so we would see them a lot, even from the age of four and five years old. They used to play all day events in a hotel local to us and we'd be there all Sunday, every Sunday. Oh, nice. It was our church. <laughs> Jazz. So I was brought up around it, you know, it was just all around, but I wasn't ever taught anything and I never went to any classes or anything like that. My uncle, they tried to make my uncle teach me once they figured out I had a kind of nice voice, uh, but he didn't, didn't hold up much hope for me. <laughs> um, how would you describe yourself with three non-Murphy songs? Three non-Murphy songs to describe me. I chose Mina, Runaway. There's a Greyhound bus that's leaving Half past four This time it's over if I take it So I slowly cross the room and At the door 
massive Nina fan, especially in the last few years. I'd come across her years and years ago, my first Italian boyfriend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he used to play um, Ancora, Ancora, Ancora a lot. Mm. That was our song. Um, and then when I met my husband now, um, he's a music producer. And that kind of led me to want to record these Italian songs. These songs by Mina, Patti Bravo, Lucio Battisti. Mm. Um, and, but this one is in, she did it in, I think in three languages. She did a Spanish version, an Italian version and an English version. The English is superb. It's called Runaway. It's really funky. And the visual um, on YouTube, some TV performance or pop video thing. It's just her in a black space with a with a blonde afro <coughs> in a in a amazing um, t- man's tuxedo, seventies tuxedos. Most brilliant image. Only she could really carry off yeah. such simplicity and make it so complicated in a sense emotionally. But this song, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of the same feeling in Roisin Machine. There's a lot of sense of getting up, packing up your bag. And getting out of there and, you know, making decisions and going out and making yourself. So the sort of like the ups and downs of running away, you know, the po- the pros and the cons. I love I love that you also have this uh, affinity for the Italian of the Italian music of that period. I mean, it's obviously a strong place, strong influence in your work. Well, when I when I re- was researching uh, the songs for the Misensi project, um, I looked on in, on the internet, obviously on YouTube, and uh, I, I don't speak Italian, so I found lots of performances um, of Mina very close up, you know, uh, and where you would really see her facial expressions. Mm. And there's a certain sort of uh, film quality, you know, sort of film actress quality to those performances that's definitely influenced my performance style. And I felt an affinity with her, uh, just her kind of playing with things, playing with the way she's dressed or with the light or, you know, simple things that are very dramatic. And I also got very influenced by this style of songwriting in that period seemed to me to be both anthemic, obviously, because, you know, you'd be singing and Cora too in Italy and everybody every age knows the song knows yeah but when you break down the song it's not an anthemically written song it's actually a, a very conversational very intimate um, so it's kind of an amazing thing to see everyone singing a lyric like no no I'm not seeing anyone new I've just taken up smoking again you know and then this yeah. is like something everyone knows but this is so small and intimate such a detail between two people so that fact Fascinated me, and I think that that did creep into me songwriting from from Hairless Toys onwards more so than it had been before. Mm. I love I love this connection. I mean, it, it speaks to me personally. I mean, we have a very similar aesthetic. Uh, that's why I'm so drawn to your music as well, and to you, of course, and the way you perform. 
Um, and yeah, I can see, I can see the heritage, the influences there. And Mina, of course, she was a goddess in that sense. Uh, oh, just owning it as well, you know, and the wit, the like, because when you do get close into that face, you see like the windows of the soul, the eyes, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and there's nothing, nothing to resist, you know, there's nothing to worry about. You just go in there to her. And that fascinated me the more I watched her. And, and, and many other uh, stars from that era. And the whole era, Italian television was just off the scale. Yeah. Off Incredible. the scale. Yeah. You know, it's a just. Movie set up, yeah. <laughs> like in those big, huge movie studios that they shot the Fellini movies, you know, and uh, yeah. using the same cranes and same set builders and, um, you know, this modernist aesthetic, um, but writ large, you know, total grandeur. I mean, just like a high point. It's almost depressing, actually, because yeah. when you Maybe look at those things, you study, yeah. you study, you study, and you think it can't be repeated. It, can't, it cannot be right. done again. We, if we if we had to, if our lives depended on it, we couldn't do it. No. But sometimes I feel like that about architecture, you know. I get sad looking at a building that can't be built now. It just couldn't happen. Yeah, I, I, I'm just walking around, even through Milano, and you look around, you, you can't replicate it. You can't, because... First of all, everything is in context of its of its cultural moments, just like that period of Rayuno, you know, in the 1670s. The skills are gone, to, you know, yeah. the, the skills are gone anyway. So and also the yeah. will, the will to, to build that sort of thing, to build a Duomo in Milano. It couldn't happen. I concur. It's very sad. I mean, even just being here in my hotel room and watching today's Italian television. Wow, I know that's what I mean. Like, could that have yeah. been? You know, sometimes you wonder. Yeah. Could that have? Do, you know, could we have reached the pinnacle at that point? And that's yeah. it's all downhill from there. Or what? <laughs> yeah. You know. I agree. Well, um, do you have two more songs that? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> we will go with Grace Jones. I've done it again. Which um, you know, you could put it on the gravestone. <laughs> and I've done it again. Have you ever uh, met Grace or worked with Grace? Well, I've met her a couple of times, but only very briefly. Uh, I saw her play in Florence a oh, wow. long time ago. And she played in this incredible place just outside Florence, which is an excavation site, you know, a site of ancient. And then they've, wow. built, they've built this amazing kind of brutalist uh, venue over it. And uh, she played kind of a, a very paired back show. It was really just lights and music. And I think she had maybe a percussionist, but it was enough. I mean, it blew my mind. It was like, oh, you can just do that with a light and your arm, like change everything, change the whole atmosphere. There was no explosions yeah. or, you know, even lasers or anything like that. It was really simple and just shadow and light and her and maybe a bit of wind. 
And it was mind blown and it was so influential. But after that, um, me and my friend, we got chatted up by the promoters of the gig. And they were like, well, you know, come to the hotel and meet uh, Grace Jones, you know. So we were like, oh, wow. yeah, go on then. So we went. <laughs> we went, but then we were wait. We were there before them. We were waiting for them when they got there. And uh, she saw us and she was like, absolutely not having it. Who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> and she literally, she was like, control, get these people out of here. I'll never forget. It was the most embarrassing moment of my life. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> hey, it's Grace Jones. It's fine. <laughs> well, we had, a, we had a couple of drinks with our brother downstairs in the bar. He was lovely. Chris, lovely guy. Oh, God. <sighs> I don't blame her, by the way. I have to say, I really no, don't blame her. Not. I think I mean, it might they're... be the same myself. Some dodgy Italian promoters turned up with a couple of <laughs> slappers from London. <laughs> I mean, if if you're Grace Jones, I think at that point who you, you're just constantly bombarded with. Oh people. hell, hell it, yeah! I mean, it must be it must be hell, you know. I mean, mm. at some point, and after a performance, of course, you, uh, you as you know, as a pro performer yourself, like you you do need your peace and quiet for a moment at least, you know. Like absolutely, far be it for me to uh, gain away, but. Um, I, I loved her film that came out a couple of years ago, Black Light and Bambi. Did you see that? Did you see no. the documentary about her? And there's a moment oh, in yes, it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out like three years ago or something, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a moment in it where she's in the studio and she wants Robbie Shakespeare to turn up and he hasn't for two days. And she's on the phone to him and she is as nice as pie. <laughs> And, and this I really related to because obviously, you know, I'm the boss of everything, kind of except the music. They, you know, when you're working with these sort of maverick producers, these brilliant guys, they have their own ego and everything. Mm. And it's really a collaboration. And you, your life is in their hands, basically, when they're in the studio with you. What they choose to do or they don't, how much effort they choose to put in really affects the rest of your life type thing. So in any... In any kind of world, I'm more bossy, any other kind of world. But when I go into the studio with these guys, I have to be quite humble. And it was really quite interesting to see her be like, now, now, Robbie, now, you know, I know I've been in the studio for waiting for you a couple of days now. Do you not think you might want to come on in? And then she's laughing. I know. Sure. Why don't you just come on in now? Yeah, there's a good lad now. And you can see her just trying to really... <laughs> <laughs> that's when the charm goes on I'm but it's like, different because it's it's artist to artist well it's uh, you know, that's when it comes it's like more on the eye to eye level than when, when at that at that point whereas somebody else like a, let's say a manager a label a promoter whatever they want something yeah. from you whereas yeah. when it comes to the yeah. creativity to so the actual if you boil it down to what's the common nominator here it's like we want to create something together so it's more yes. I think guards down and uh, you, you have to you know I mean it wouldn't work yeah, otherwise yeah mm. oh you are silly oh come on come on down to the studio now <laughs> <laughs> oh i can't wait to see you now we're just waiting we'll see you very soon now won't we <laughs> god bless them <laughs> so I, cho i chose a really obvious one for the third one yeah uh, lost in music sister sledge <laughs> love love of course there's got to be some disco in there <laughs>
I mean, I have been lost in music all my life. There's been no turning back, really. Even before I made music, music drove my whole lifestyle and all my friendships and were connections. My network's built on music. And that network began a long time before I even considered making it. And I suppose it's that network that brought me to making it that rather accidentally. Mm. So, yeah, I'm lost in music, no turning back. Come on. <laughs> Did you, I mean, obviously the... Uh That period of Sister Sledge was produced by Niall Rogers, talking about producers. Did you ever work with Niall? No. Would you like to work with Niall? Or is that God. something? Oh, that would be awful. <laughs> 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 yeah, Why I mean, obviously, obviously he's a genius, but also he seems so nice, no? Yeah, he seems he's so uh, amazing. So, yeah, I mean, I've met him a couple of times. I seen him down the front of the gig about a year and a half ago at some festival, oh. jiving away to our gig. Um, so, yeah, I would, of course. <laughs> well, talking about your latest album, Erosion Machine, which I love. It's like a nice, fat sounding electronic disco sound. Um, was the record made during the lockdown? Like, did, did the lockdown have an influence on the record? And do you have a favorite track of the of the album? It, it's had an influence. Um, the record started 10 years ago uh, with, oh, wow. si with Simulation. It was the first release, actually, came mm. out 10 years ago. This is a And before simulation, there was a, there was a handful of tracks that uh, Parrot had made for the project, and and most of those remain somewhere in the record. Those rhythms. Um, so the record kind of was set out a very long time ago. Its its flavor and everything was already there. I think. And songs like Murphy's Law, written a long time ago, that came out during lockdown. It seems like it was written for lockdown, you know. Mm. Uh, I won't stay locked up in this house and all that kind of stuff. It's just had a synchronicity. Um, but certain things uh, needed to be finished after we signed the record deal, which was only seven months ago for the album. Uh -huh. And we had already had done Narcissus, Simulation, Jealousy, Murphy's Law, uh, and something else. We hadn't done something more. <laughs> that was the next single that came out um, but so there's like six singles on this record also which is a new thing for me I've never had a record that many singles which is quite nice um, and where were we what was I talking about it started 10 years ago we started yeah. finishing it after we got signed and we had about sort of just under a half of it to, to finish I guess uh, but we did it in a very short number of months the, the thing was really of a piece already but it's a bit influenced somewhere here and there like in in a song called a Shellfish Mademoiselle. The lyrics in the choruses are all written in the lockdown, all about how dare you sent, sentence me to a lifetime without dancing. How dare you Stuff. 
But, but you did have some fun. Yeah, it worked very well. <laughs> but yeah, I loved your little lockdown videos. Thank that was, you. That was fun and encouraging. And of course, it's like we all had a little domestic discos, <laughs> so to say. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I'm sure you had a great response for that. I did. But I, I guess let's go back to the thing I said about Mina too, you know, that, that going mm. in close and you can sort of see into my eyes type thing with those performances that are here in the room. I've only got one camera and it's kind mm. of like I'm sort of reaching into the matrix to try and touch you, you know, through the wall. Um, I'm about to do another thing I'm all, I'm all thinking about it at the moment. It's a 360 degree problem for me, but I'm putting together a, a film of the band um, that will be uh, live stream, or will be streamed on um, just once, I think, on Mixcloud. It's ticketed. Okay. It's quite, quite an experiment for me. Yeah. And uh, we're doing it in this um, huge warehouse space that ho houses just miles of equipment, of, of sound equipment mm -hmm. and lighting equipment. And they're going to build us like this incredible stage in there, like a stadium stage in there with a big screen and everything, but plonked right in the middle of all this gear and sort of melancholy space at the moment, really that. And um, so, yeah, we're just plotting that out now. And obviously it's a performance, it's a film filmed performance so it'll be a bit it'll be embracing the possibilities therein it won't be like a live show yeah well it will be like it will be live but without an audience there are <laughs> things that there are things that we're putting into it that are special and I'm trying to push the boundaries of it as far as I can with the money I have and everything we won't make any money out of it but it really is it really is just so I can get the band together you know because I bloody miss them I know I can only <laughs> imagine what's the last time you were on stage like with an audience like a week before they locked it down no yeah no. Uh, so we would have been everywhere this summer of course we'd have been all over oh, yeah. touring this music would have been in all your clubs everywhere people would have been dancing left and right to Roisin Machine by now uh, but it's okay I can't complain because I've had the chance to do lots of writing and I'm nearly ready with my next record oh wow <laughs> yeah and um, and I did the performances and I'm doing this interesting thing now with the band and you know it's going to be crazy that I, I have to think because I'm directing it as well so I have to perform oh wow I have to directing premiere no I do, I've directed all the videos for a long time and oh, creatively direct everything that. yeah I didn't know that. So, so, but um, yeah, so I have to think in terms of the performance, the band, the songs, the look, the camera movement, the screens, what's on the screens, because they're all my content as well. It's like mm. 360 degree problem. <laughs> Woo! Just the way I like it. Exactly. <laughs> think Visconti, think Visconti. Exactly. <laughs> Was a bit, yeah, yeah, it's a I bit more Antonioni, this, actually, this than Visconti. Yes, oh. yes. I think after this lockdown, there's a lot of uh, new great material coming out because a lot of artists were stuck and and tried to do something productive, I guess. And, productive. And, and, so, and so it's easy to, to, it's kind of with the technology the way it is now, it's easy to lock down and just write, mm. you know, for sure. Mm. So I think uh, there's going to be a whole wave of fantastic new material coming out worldwide. Yeah. Um, 
at least there's something good out of all that. Yeah. Um, well, talking about Italians, um, another favorite Italian of ours is, of course, Lucio Battisti. And mm -hmm. uh, I loved I loved your Misenti record that came out, like, what, five, six years ago? Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. How, how did that come about? I'm so curious. Because I played that record up and down for years, still do, still listen to it. And I share with people and say, listen to this. Uh, but, yeah. Curious. Well, That's the story I, I, that. <laughs> I did it with my, my husband, my partner. I always call him my husband. I'd never marry him. I don't, I'm never going to marry anyone ever. <laughs> But I still call him my husband. Um, yeah. So, because he's my, my deep partner. And uh, anyway, Sebastiano, he's a producer as well, music producer. I met him in the studio, actually. I recorded a song called Flash of Light with him and his, his friend Lucasy. Mm. Um, so, oh, I know Luca. Oh, you do? <laughs> Everyone knows Luke. That's so. <laughs> um, oh, he's gorgeous, boy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I fell in love with Sebi and then he was playing me, he's actually playing me non credere because his uncle wrote that song. And in the video, oh, she's, wow. okay. yeah, in the video, I mean, is really, really close and you can see the mouth moving. And I, he went out, Sebi, and I decided, let me see now if I can learn this phonetically, if I can write it down phonetically and learn it. And because I could really see what she was singing, she was so close up to me in the video on YouTube, um, I was able to do it. And when he came back, I, I was able to sing non credere to him he's like oh my god we have to record it So that was the first one, and that led to yeah the the EP, which uh, yeah, and and we did a lovely cover of Lucio's Ancora 2, which is one of my favorite songs ever in the whole world. But I've chosen yeah. <laughs> my favorite Lucio, because you asked me my favorite Lucio record. 
And I've chosen an album called Una Donna Per Amico, uh, which mm. he recorded in England, I believe, with lots of like heavy British session players. And in, it's a beautifully engineered record. You can really hear it. Um, it's extremely funky. Bass player is amazing. And of course, Lucio is just a fantastic songwriter. And his delivery is so modern and so fresh. You know, it just never loses its edge. Yeah. It's timeless. Mm. I mean, uh, when people ask me about Lucio, if you want to compare it to something in France, you have Serge, you know, in Gainsbourg. But I think that's mm. the Italian version. And yeah. it's just a fantastic mm. production and songwriting. But yeah, mm. well, kudos to you. Well done. <laughs> that's a great reinterpretation. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, well, basically, um, from all the gigs that you played over the years, I know it's an impossible question, but is there like one performance or one moment that stuck with you that you cherish? A few years ago, we got to play, we were the first sort of band to play music like that in the Globe Theatre, in Shakespeare's Globe Theatre there in London. And it's a wooden circular building. It's a replica of the original Globe and it's open. The sky is open and there's just to be in this sort of wooden uh, womb like kind of. I've never been on a stage like it to feel that way. And uh, everyone can see you. They're all in on top of you, you know, because there's sort of balconies and balconies going up. And it's extremely intimate. Um, and then it has this sort of open sky at the top. It was it was really an incredible experience. And I got to have a little tear around their um, wardrobe department before I went on as well. Got a few Edward, um, what would you call it, um, Elizabethan roughs. And, and the Globe was just an incredible experience. We were the first band allowed to do it. So we were the first thing that was non-Shakespearean that played there. So that was an incredible thing. And the actual space itself is one of the most special stages to play, certainly that I've ever played, to be enveloped by all that wood. And it's circular and it's open to the, to the stars at the top. And it goes up in, in balconies so everyone can see everything you're doing and you can see everyone and the sound is something very special inside that wood oh wow remember a particular track the big track there that night i guess was exploitation because it was a real celebration of my album hairless toys Before the pre pre COVID, when you were getting ready for a night out, do you have like a go to go to song? For a night out, I have chosen "You Can Do It" Vaughn Mason, and I used to listen to this track before I went out on stage every night. I'd have it on my little stereo right up against me or all the way up to the stage I'd be going through these festivals and trying to kind of block out all the kind of cold play and all that by holding this funky thing right up to my face and I'd be going along going you could do it you could do it when you're in the groove <laughs> I used uh, one of the lyrics of this track I reused it um, step by step and a little more pep and I put that in my song Overpowered actually it's in there somewhere 
as a little reference to this and a nod to how much this song means to me. And, oh, wow. Okay. You know, this it's song really is, up. I write like this sometimes as well, where I'll do a hook and then I'll do another hook and then I'll do another <laughs> hook and another. And you think I'm done. No, I've got more, one more and another one. And it keeps going on. And that can be an absolute mess. But in this case, this is, this is like that. It's just one hook after another, but it, it just steps so perfectly like a staircase from one hook to the next that it still lodges itself in your brain. It's, it's genius record. It makes no sense somehow, the lyrics, but they <laughs> stick with you. And, um, it's very evocative. It's a super evocative track for me. This makes me, I can't not dance to it. I have to move. It's funky as hell. You can do it to the your body move If you try it out and get ready to Come on, jump and shout Happy days are here again They're singing and dancing and prancing So don't knock the groove You can't afford to lose And the interesting fun fact here is that Vaughn Mason is, in fact, the same artist, uh, Ray's, and he had the incredible house record, Break for Love. And it's weird that it's the same artist, in a way, when you hear the two records. And there's only a few years between them, but there's a world between them, a world away. Wow. Well, we got to listen to both. <laughs> Baby, don't you worry. I want to be the man that you want me to. When you're not locked up or when we're all not locked up, uh, what does freedom sound like to you? Ah, well, freedom. What does it sound like to me? I've chosen um, Vivaldi. Uh, what, which one is that? Summer in G minor, I think. Yeah. yeah, Vivaldi, Summer in G minor. Sounds like freedom to me. I love it. I think when you hear a lot of beats and a lot of heavy music, uh, it's so relaxing and freeing to listen to the like of this, you know. Agreed. And oftentimes, you know, when you're... Set I get really, my ears get really tired of dance music, um, especially when I'm somewhere like Ibiza where you just can't get away from it. And so we get into our van or after a gig or whatever, I get them to put something like this on and we can totally zone out and feel free. And it's, there is such freedom in it. Mm. It really is about freedom, this music. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not very intellectual to pick Vivaldi out of all the classical, but I don't know, something about Four Seasons, something about techno about it as well <laughs> it kind of gets me going yes. it does make it me dance tempo. you know it has tempo yeah and yeah it's it's very spacey and airy and and uh yeah 
I, I, it's funny because I was literally Everything just listening has to its it yesterday. Place and yeah, um, and I, I, I can co- concur that yeah, it, it really, especially in contrast to an electronic track in comparison to yeah. techno, it's not. A, it's in a, in in a way two different, complete different worlds, but yet they're very connected. You know, yeah. like yeah. Um, I, yeah, I agree with you. But it's the ability for it is it feels like it's flying and flying away yeah. like a little bird, you know, completely. It does feel free. Yeah. Max Max uh, Richter Richter, I guess in English, he uh, did a reinterpretation of uh, the Four Seasons. If you haven't listened to it, you, oh. you have to listen to it. It's incredible because um, he added a slight little undertone to it and he decomposed everything and he added also bird sounds to it. So it's funny that you referenced mm. the birds because yeah, obviously you saw mm. that you feel that. To go slightly more intimate, what's your go-to falling in love or heartbreak song? Um, my go-to heartbreak song is Angie Stone, I Wish I Didn't Miss You, which when I was heartbroken one time, I think I must have listened to it about a hundred times. Uh, and sort of, it's it's a song of being in search, you know, mm. always with your eye out. Is he, is he going to turn up? That, that thing. <laughs> I'm right here. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could turn this corner and he could be sitting at that cafe table like he always was. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my drink? <laughs> but you know, that, that OJ's groove, you know, uh, just pace through your heartbreak, heartbreak, you know, just walk through it, for God's sake. It's, yeah. it's walking pace, isn't it? Yeah. Just walk right through it and walk out and away from the pain. Same old story back again. She's not a lover, she's just a friend. beautifully said <laughs> let's leave it at that <laughs> uh, and do you ever like a go to falling or are we sticking with the heartbreak go to falling in love would be probably seventh heaven uh gwen go through larry levan's mm. edit of it love that was the way I, I fell in love with mark bryden who was my partner in maloco that was our favorite song and it's still probably my favorite song i mean favorite record favorite everything it's great i love that i love that stuff i love that we stuff yeah, i love that we larry 
Lavan. <laughs> Me too. I actually, <laughs> uh, part of the series, I've, I discovered this old, very rare interview with Larry. Uh, uh, what was his name? I think he did it in 1991 in London when he was when he came to open the Ministry of Sound. I remember he came for a couple of months to London. It was right after the Paradise Garage. And he did an oh. interview. Uh, I sent it to you after this. Uh, it's super interesting to hear him. Like this enigma that was Larry Levant. And then his uh, track choices yeah. and talk about that period of his life and the music and yeah. where music is today, like in 1990 or 91. Uh, super interesting just to kind of mm. peek into his brain. Oh, please do. I'd yeah. like to read that. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we love Larry. <laughs> Uh, talking about Mo- about Moloko, do you have a favorite track of yours from that period? Uh, from what period? From the Moloko period. <laughs> uh, the whole thing. Um, oh God, you've, you you didn't prepare me no. for that. I don't know. <laughs> favorite. I, I really I really loved. I can remember songs that I fought for. It's not to say that they're my favorite, but I fought for I fought for um, "Cannot Contain This," which is a track on statues, and it nearly didn't make it onto the record, and it nearly wasn't finished. And I remember like lying down on the ground and like stamping my feet, and crying, and pulling my hair out. Please, <gasps> we've got to finish it. And you know, it's still one of it's still one of my favorites. So I'm glad I saved it from the dustbin. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> We all thank you for that. After the heartbreak, you're out and about, running around town and you're feeling super sexy. What's the sexiest song? <laughs> super sexy song. <laughs> I was going to go for Larry Levan again. Oh. Inner, li- inner life, make it last forever. I mean, there's just something about that sound. It's just so uplifting and positive and sexy and still gives you energy at the same time without being overbearing. It just, I mean, he was the master. (laughs) It has this, that song has this push and pull. It has this chug that like propels you and pulls you back. You know, in that groove is so sexy and the vocal is incredible. Mm. 
keep it warm inside me and all that. Oof, you know, how sexy do you want to be? (laughs) 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 That voice. Jesus. Well, to wrap up our little chat, which was a lot of fun. um, If your life would be a movie, what would play in the end credits? I think I'd have to have Gwen McRae, all this love that I'm given because... And at the end of the day, I've tried to give my love, give him my love and give him my love. <laughs> you know, I've, if you can say one thing about me, hopefully you can say that, that poor loving energy into everything that I do. be a bitch (laughs) (laughs) honestly I like it (laughs) but but I do put a lot of love and energy into this life I'm living you do and you're an incredible source of inspiration I thank you for that thank you well Miss Murphy it's been a real pleasure and I hope we're gonna meet uh, sometime someday under a disco ball and have a nice little dance I'm sure we will my dear I'm sure I feel positive that will happen. Me too. (laughs) Bye. Bye, honey. Lovely meeting you. Pleasure. For this episode's playlist, visit areweonair.com where you'll be able to enjoy the full playlist mentioned in this conversation.